Welcome back to Rockstock Channel. It is Friday, March 3rd, and we have Matt Fernley on the program here. Matt, you've been on the, the show a couple of times. Actually, you held the title for having the, the second most viewed video. Last year, you said, how high can the lithium price go? And you know, you said it was very high, and it was an extremely prescient call. And we are here today with uh, the spot price down 30%. I'm not sure what we're going to call this video, but we were thinking about Tom Petty's free falling. But you think that we're poised for kind of an imminent turnaround or, or bottom or, or, or leg up. So we're going to start with that. Uh, in your battery materials review, you have a recent feature article that was just published, and it talks about cost curves and the like and, and, and what's underpinning that view. So let's start with that, but please introduce or reintroduce yourself and, and your recent you know, publications you've put in the market. Sure. Um, thanks, Howard. And, and thanks, Rodney, for, for the invitation to come on again. I'm disappointed I've uh, lost space in our another second most viewed uh, podcast, but uh, we'll, we'll have to see if we can do something about that. Yeah, so um, battery materials review, monthly subscription periodical, focusing on the entire battery materials space. And uh, we've just put out our 2022 yearbook, which is free on our website, free to download on our website, uh, batterymaterialsreview.com. And it basically has a number of articles focusing on aspects of the industry that we think are really important. And I, I just wanted to put something out into the market that summarized where the market is at the moment, because I think we're at a really important point of inflection in the market. And I think it explains our thinking on a number of the sort of key aspects uh, that are impacting the market. Uh, obviously, we're talking about lithium here, but we do nickel, we do graphite in a lot more detail, which I think is a really interesting space. We talk about the anode and the cathode market. We talk about capital capacity of the industry, which I think is a core consideration. And we go down and talk about the EV space, the ESS space, which is a growing area. We talk about recycling, all of these issues, which are really, really important to the market at the moment. We've got essays in them in the yearbook. And I, I think it's just a really nice sort of, this is where we are at this moment in time. And this is potentially where we could be. That's me. Uh, the question And it's is free. This, this yearbook is free to download. Free, so <laughs> absolutely free. Just, just get in there and fill your boots. Yeah, absolutely free. So yeah, and, and that you don't get that very often. Let's face it. So uh, yeah. in lithium, there is a free lunch, and uh, I, I think it, it, it's a great document. But your battery materials review, which is a monthly, is not free, but it, it is a modest. What does it cost per year? Um, it's four hundred eighty pounds for individual investors, people who are interested in the sector. It's a little bit more for a corporate membership, but uh, £480 for individuals. So, yeah. Okay. So about a, a pound and a half a day, less than a cup of coffee, um, you can get uh, the battery materials review and a lot of interesting articles and data, um, you know, in, in that. And, and your podcast, you have a pod, the Recharge podcast once a month uh, is also a great listen um, on my Saturdays and Sundays walking my dog. I am uh, listening to that once a month. So the feature article in your most recent battery materials review, we're going to start with that. We're also going to cover Tesla Battery Day, you know, Albemarle, Marvel, Joint Venture Restructure, you know, the RK Equity scoreboards as, it, you know, for February, uh, recent developments in, in U.S. politics, you know, the start of construction in the U.S., you know, at, at Lithium Americas and, and, and a few other things. But uh, start with the with the article 
uh, and why you think this 30% downdraft we have, you know, is poised to slow, stop, you know, and reverse. And I don't know if you believe we're going to higher highs on lithium, but uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You know, just let us know what you think. <laughs> why not? <laughs> okay. So I, 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 mean, I think the reason why I think I will, I mean, the spot price today is about 55 to $60 a kilogram. That's obviously down from 80 odd dollars a kilogram at the back end of last year. I actually think that we're closer to the end of that move than the beginning. The reason we are comes down to sort of analysis of marginal cost of production. Now, for people who don't have a, a commodities background, the marginal cost of production is the level on the cost curve where it becomes too painful for producers to carry on producing and start to see production cuts. Um, and in my career, you know, 20 odd years, that's been around about the 65th percentile of the cost curve. Now, I think the big issue here is a lot of people have a confused view of what the marginal cost of production is in lithium. If you looked at the lithium industry in, say, 2018, 2019, the marginal cost producer was the Latin American brine operations. Um, the guys like SQM and Albemarle that are producing, you know, very low cost from the sort of Chilean and potentially the Argentinian brines as well. But the marginal cost producer now is not because we've seen very, very substantial changes in the lithium market over that time. And one of the most important changes started to come in at the beginning of last year because of the tightness in the industry, the hydroxide converters in China were forced um, effectively by the spot con producers in Australia to renegotiate their contracts. And they had to renegotiate their contracts, most of them pointing backwards at the quarterly spot prices of spodumene concentrate. Now, the reason that's important is because over the last sort of six months, those have gone very, very high indeed, which means that the merchant converters in China, which represent about 25 to 35% of supply at the moment. And when I talk about merchant converters, I'm talking about the converters who don't have captive mines. So the guys who are buying SpodCon on the spot market. And if you're buying SpodCon in the spot market, say $5,000 a ton, then your operating costs are around about $45 a kilo of lithium hydroxide. And that's why I think that we're much closer to the bottom of the down cycle um, than a lot of com um, commentators are suggesting, because a number of the bulge bracket banks, who we have referred to in the past, and we won't do so by name here, but they're calling for prices of lithium to go down to sort of about $11 a kilogram, and maybe $15 a kilogram. In my view, that is not possible, while spodumene concentrate prices are above four and a half thousand dollars a ton, five thousand dollars a ton, because it won't be economic for those merchant converters in China to operate at those prices. So they won't be operating at those prices, they'll be closed. So we know really where the where the where the cost curve support is for, for lithium prices. And it's probably around about forty to forty five dollars a kilogram, not eleven to twelve dollars a kilogram. So that's really my view. That, that prices have come come down uh, or are coming down that are now much closer to the marginal cost of production. And then the other view in terms of the up cycle 
is inventories. Uh, um, and obviously we keep a very close eye on what inventories are doing in China. And I think a lot of commentators look at inventories in absolute terms. So they say, well, you know, inventories, for instance, for lithium carbonate, which is one of the key lithium chemicals, they look really high. I mean, they've blown out to, to almost, you know, 70% of the level that they're at in 2018 to 2019. And they have. But the, the, the point is you've got to look at it in days of consumption terms. Because if you look at consumption of lithium now, it's about what, two or three times what it was in 2018, 2019. So in days of supply terms, inventories are much, much lower than they were in, in 2018, 2019. In many ways, inventories look a little bit depressed at the moment because we've seen very, very weak activity in China in December, January, beginning of February. Um, but once activity starts to ratchet up, probably towards the end of March and into April, we think that there's going to be a big squeeze in inventories and, and therefore that's going to squeeze up the price quite rapidly. So that's why we think, I couldn't say to the next week when the lithium price will trough, but we do think that the lithium price is coming towards its trough and will start to recover you know, possibly into the end of March, maybe into the beginning of April. You know, when you look at China, you don't look at January data. You look at January, February data together because of the, the impacts of the Lunar New Year. And activity is always depressed. And it's extra depressed this year because a lot of the migrant workers in China have gone home, have been allowed to go home for the first time in three years. And they've been quite slow about coming back to their jobs. And that's one of the reasons why activity, weak activity has lasted longer than we would have expected to. In December, I was expecting the restocking event to come in February. But now it looks like the restocking event won't come toward, uh, until March, possibly the beginning of April. But we do expect that restocking event to come. Okay. I, I want to pick up a, on a point that you mentioned about, you know, it's the spodumene price. It's not the spot carbonate price i mean lithium watchers generally and everybody just like focuses on that china spot carbonate price mm -hmm. should we change and focus on um spodumene like i i've argued and i continue to argue that you know there's a spodumene duopoly right between pilbara and kind of mineral resources slash albemarle and it was the discipline of albemarle shutting down wajina and pilbara shutting down you know what was altura which has created this great price experience that we're having in lithium because converters used to be squeezing Altura, used to be squeezing Pilbara, and you know now the shoe's on the other foot. Do, do you think that's right? And, and with the advent of, you know, Sigma is coming on stream very soon, Core is in the market, uh, Piedmont, Sayana are, are in the market. So those are three, you know, plus, but the, the, the Wajina, is going to be integrated with with Almol and, and Minres, but you know just those three new deposits of spodumene coming on. What do you think about that, and and just a potential impact on the spodumene price? And should we really just be focusing on the spodumene uh, price and this dynamic? Well, I think it's important to to focus on both prices. So obviously, the lithium carbonate market is much bigger than the spodumene market, not in terms of tonnage, but in terms of sort of impact on on the battery space but so the, the lithium carbonate market is you know gives you an indication of the overall health of the space but certainly for now and probably for the next two or three years the spodumene concentrate price is going to be important for the reasons that 
that we discussed. And, and I think your point about the duopoly of, of sort of Minerez and, and Pilbara is, you know, a very important one. Uh, with regards to the new supply coming into the market, I don't really expect that supply to be enormously impactive until the second half of the year. You know, all of these projects, if I look at all of the lithium projects that have started up in the last five years, have all taken longer than expected to come up to commercial production. So I'm not really expecting a huge amount of, of excess material in the market until the second half of the year. And even then, compared to the sort of tonnages that are coming out of Pilbara uh, and, and coming out of Minres, it's not a huge amount of material. So I, I'm not I'm not so worried about that. People have got to be realistic about what a super cycle looks like. Uh, a super cycle is not sort of prices continuing to increase over the next five years. Uh, a super cycle is about prices being on average at a much higher level. So, uh, uh, you know, if you look at the copper price um, chart between say 2002 and 2012, that's an example of a super cycle. Uh, copper prices averaged a very high level, but they were very cyclical around that. And I think that's what we expect to see in a super cycle. So, you know, can lithium carbonate prices, lithium hydroxide prices average $60 a kilogram over the next five years? absolutely for certain but will there be potentially very substantial fluctuations in price uh, over that time yes there will be as well so in my in my view you know the super cycle stronger for longer still applies it's just that we're going to see a bit more cyclicality of pricing uh, within that so I, I think that we will see prices move up um, you know into the middle part of the year and, and there is a potential for prices you know, possibly to move down after that. But I do expect prices to remain at, at a, a very substantially elevated level. And, you know, there's a lot of people out in the market, analysts out in the market at the moment with, with regards to lithium saying, well, you know, how how can lithium prices remain, you know, so high above the marginal cost of production for such a long period of time? Well, number one, they're not actually massively above the marginal cost of production for the reasons that we we discussed earlier and number two in an environment where there's an underinvestment in in new supply um we've seen in the past with the, the base metal super cycle in the um late 2000s that the prices can remain at elevated levels for five ten years if there isn't enough supply in in the in the market so you know i i i would also disagree with that view so just if okay. I can flip in here, uh, Matt. So back in my my old life when I ran a mining book in London and did base and bulk metals, you'll remember nickel got very tight, got to $50,000 a ton. The Chinese weren't having it. They introduced nickel pig iron, much lower content. Price of nickel plummeted back to whatever it was, $8,000 a ton. So the question is, it's very clear, given that there aren't enough spodumen resources in domestic China, and they, so they don't have that availability, is they are looking, it would appear, to solve the high price riddle, because in the end, the average cost of a, of a car in China is much lower, and they want to export to the rest of the world, so they want to make their markets competitive, and we don't have to get into the CATL debate, but I think, broadly speaking, it looks like 
it's very specific companies that are looking to be saved by those those pricing reductions. Um, is is China is China looking to replicate the nickel pig iron moment and disrupt the lithium industry with sodium iron and with lipidolite? So I take the the lipidolite question first of all. I don't think it's looking to disrupt the lithium industry. I think it's looking to. Well, sorry, I mean to try and get the price. Yeah, yeah bring some. Uh, I think it's looking to to get the price down and keep its own industry profitable. I'm not overly worried about the lipidolite capacity in China. Yeah, on sodium iron, really interesting situation. Uh, I've had a lot of conversations about this over the last sort of two, three months or so. Sodium iron will never have the energy density from a scientific point of view that an LFP battery can have. I think the other thing about sodium iron is that Yes, it looks very interesting now when demand might be a couple of gigawatt hours a year. But will prices in the value chain be impacted if you take demand up to 100 gigawatt hours a year or 500 gigawatt hours a year? Because we heard all of these arguments for LFP. You know, LFP is much, much cheaper. Well, LFP five years ago was much, much cheaper. But then when you tried to upscale the, the supply chain, it put all of these pressures on through the supply chain and prices went up, costs went up. And, and that's a risk for, for sodium iron. You know, potentially I see applications for sodium iron in uh, stationary storage and I potentially see it in yeah. two and three wheelers. And I am excited about it because let's face it, we need something to, to help on the lithium iron side. Okay. I want to turn uh, in a second to uh, Tesla's investor day and a discussion there. But uh, before doing that, I just want to make our own advertisement here for RK Equity. Uh, anyone watching, I'd encourage you to come to our website and register your email if you haven't already, because we send out a lot of stuff by email in addition to Twitter and, and LinkedIn. And this video will have an, an extended extended cut you know, for our Patreon viewers. So I would encourage you to subscribe via Patreon. We'll have a link uh, put up here and uh, please subscribe to the channel. But uh, the, the biggest thing I want to advertise is that RK Equity and, and Rockstock Channel are, are putting on its first ever conference on March 21st. This is going to be uh, all virtual and it's going to be called Canada Rocks. It's going to focus 100% on what's happening in Quebec and Ontario, in particular with spodumene producers there, but we're also going to feature uh, a little bit about graphite. And, and Matt has graciously agreed to um, speak you know, and, and moderate there, as well as uh, Katie LaChapelle at Canaccord, David Deckelbaum at Cowan, uh, Ernie Ortiz you know, of Lithium Royalty Corp, and uh, Ken Brinsden is going to give a keynote fireside chat. So stay tuned on Twitter and LinkedIn uh, for some you know, more detail about that. But a uh, quick comment on, on Graphite. I saw your interview on mineducation.com. We're not going to cover Graphite too much here, but w what was the uh, takeaway for that? And, and you know, as a, as a quick advertisement for this conference and, and more coverage of Graphite in, in the near term by ourselves. The situation hasn't changed. We have a huge underinvestment in the sort of midstream Graphite space. So uh, we don't really have a shortage in, in upstream projects, but we have a huge underinvestment in midstream anode materials, spherical graphite, 
dedicated spherical graphite projects in the Western world. And, you know, of all of the 10 or 12 projects that we count under development at the moment, we need all of them to work. And we need all of them to work straight away um, if we're going to fill in the, the the expected graphite gap. And realistically, given, you know, what we've seen in the space over the last sort of four or five years, probably some of them are going to be delayed. So, you know, we are, we are quite... Um, from one point of view, worried about the, the graphite gap, but from the point of view of investors, excited about the potential for a graphite gap. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely a space to, to watch. And in, in terms of the magnitude and the impact for investors, I, I think it's really exciting because nobody really understands graphite. And I think there's huge upside potential. And I, I think the, you know, the, the graphite gap could be as important as, as what we've seen in lithium. I mean, if you look at the lithium ion cells, you know, what are the constant materials? Well, it's lithium and graphite. And if you, you know, you don't have graphite, you don't have lithium ion cells. So um, for me, people need to do a little bit more research on what I think is going to be potentially a, a, a really exciting segment in the next four or five years. Yep, I think so too. Unfortunately, uh, graphite doesn't have like an Albemarle Live and an SQM equivalent uh, educating investors about them on a quarterly basis. So that that is a reason for this knowledge gap. But you know, but Syra is now public and producing, and they've gotten you know U.S. you know funding. So I would listen to them. I think Nouveau Monde is listed in the, in the U.S. and they're going to be at our conference. So enough about graphite for now. Let's talk about Tesla. I believe a couple of years ago, you you had a patent on sodium chloride uh, to extract lithium from some from some clays and spodumene clay and, and things of that nature. Um, any, how, how does that fit into the plan of maybe bringing real innovation into a mining sector that could use a little, you know, maybe waking up and getting those costs down? Because that could be a real gating factor, it seems. Well, we're, we're, we're going to address whatever we think the limiting factor is at any point in time. Uh, so we, we would like to do the least amount possible uh, so we don't want to get into the mining or refining sector. We will do that if we have to. Um, I, I do think the, the, the focus really should be on refining capacity. Um, you know, we need to make just a, a very uh, giant amount of anode cathode lithium lithium hydroxide, lithium, lithium carbonate. It, it, it's really the refining capacity that is uh, the, the biggest choke point. Did you hear anything uh, new and exciting out of uh, Elon's mouth, Drew, Drew Backlinko's mouth, that they uh, fully understand You know where the bottleneck is and are addressing it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you know, it was from the point of view of battery raw materials, it was pretty much the same old, same old for from Tesla. I mean, which isn't to say that they didn't say anything interesting. I mean, what they said was really fascinating. It was, uh, you know, a really great day. I don't get the impression, I, I still don't get the impression they've really got their head around the, uh, shall I say the raw materials industry? I, I mean, they made a big song and dance about mm -hmm. this, obviously this lithium hydroxide refinery that they're building in Texas. And, and Elon's been quoted a number of times as saying that, you know, refining is where he sees the bottleneck. And also he's been quoted a number of times as saying there's no shortage of lithium in the Earth's crust. And completely agree with that. Absolutely no shortage of lithium in the Earth's crust. What there is, is a shortage of econ economically developable deposits of lithium. 
and there's a shortage of funding to get those deposits into production. And you know, in my in my comment on the on the battery day, I talked about this sort of new industry that needs to get off the ground. And this this industry is called the concentrating industry, and it takes basically lithium from a from a low grade in nature. And it upgrades it to a point where it can be refined into a battery raw material. And that's really the the issue that we're dealing with here. And, and, and you know, looking from outside, you go, well, I need to invest in this concentrating industry because it's obviously the key bottleneck for the energy transition. And then you mention to investors that actually this concentrating industry has a different name. And it's actually known as the mining industry. And they go, oh, no, we can't invest in mining because it's a dirty industry and you know we're not going to invest in that and it's non-ESG compliant and that's really the issue that we're having to deal with that the the mining industry is really struggling to get you know investment I mean I I, I track this this data every month in battery materials review and last year the the lithium industry funding raised was 20 percent down year on year that was in a in a year when lithium prices went to an all-time record, multiples of what they've ever been before. Yet funding was down twenty percent year on year, and and you're sort of sitting there scratching your head and going, well, you know, what needs to happen for funds to actually flow into this industry? So yeah, I, I mean, really, it was kind of same old, same old, and I'll get off my soapbox now and let you guys uh, have a crack at it. <laughs> well, it's it's important what you say because like spodumene in situ is like one percent, right? concentrating mm -hmm. it to five and a half to six percent right is one stage but you know it needs to get to 99.9 percent .9 from oh. there so it's important what well, you say the difference between concentrating and mining and in fact albemarle got a grant from the department of energy for their king's mountain mine in north carolina but it wasn't for the mining it was for the, the concentrating right it, it was it was spodumene concentration so it's interesting so you still have and i asked Jigger Shah about this, you know, as well in, in, in our interview there. Do you think that that's like Elon really doesn't want to get into mining because he's concerned that everybody, you know, just just doesn't like mining? Like there's all the speculation that he might buy Sigma and, and he just, you know, poured cold water over all. And he, and he said, like, he, he made a false parallel, in my opinion. He said, it's, it, you know, refining versus finding lithium. Right. And he had a chart there which actually showed that, you know, when there's a shortage, you know, the, the, the number, the amount of reserves or, or resources like goes up. So he showed like nickel and lithium, you know, the resources mm -hmm. are there. Right. But a lot of it is low quality, low grade, you know, and not easily, you know, extractable. So I think it, this from just a finding versus refining, that's not of, the issue. Yeah, it, it comes back to this issue of resources versus reserves. And I, I think, the you know, it's it's not understood by people in the industry. A reserve is an economically extractable resource, you know? Without wanting to, to swear, there's shed loads, shed loads, there's shed loads of <laughs> lithium around. <laughs> there's shed loads of lithium around. And, um, but, you know, the number of, uh, of projects that are economically extractable, that's the key thing. And, you know, the mining industry has proven over the last few years that um, it's more difficult than you would think to one to mine this, but two to concentrate it. And I, I think that that there's you know there's a step missing. There's finding it, and then there's 
refining it, but in the middle, there is mining it and concentrating it. And I think there's a lack of understanding about that as a step. And I think one of the reasons why Elon is very wary about talking about the mining industry, getting into the mining industry, is because automakers have been in the mining industry before and they kind of got their hands burnt because they don't really understand that industry. The other issue, you know, with regards to mining as opposed to refinery is that um, the 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 um, the material that you are concentrating is not chemically consistent. So if I look at a you know a hard rock lithium deposit, there will be different chemistries and different mineralogies in different areas of that deposit. And I think that if I look at Tesla, they're used to dealing with very consistent materials, already purified materials that then go into their cathode factory and then they, you know, the cathode comes out and that goes into their vehicles. So so they're used to dealing with with pure materials. You don't get that in the mining industry. It's a very um, you know, the, the chemical makeup and the mineralogical makeup of rocks is very different at different areas of the deposit, at different timelines within your mine and everything. And I I think that there is a real lack of understanding of that in the downstream industries and also how to how to get around it. They're very distrusting of this industry that's taking like a very commodity product that's dug out of the ground and turning it into to something that's a little bit more concentrated. So I, I, I think I think that's one of the reasons why he's, you know, very wary about it. I mean, he did. Yeah. He was quite disparaging the mining industry. Yeah, it, uh, and uh, but this guy reinvents everything. So just because uh, you know car companies didn't do well in mining, you know, in the twenties and thirties and forties, doesn't mean that he can't do it better. I, I think it's interesting. There ha have been some disruption or or in in Tesla's procurement area. You know, a lot of people have left the company recently. You know, one left to join a lithium major. Another left to join GM, uh, and soon after uh, that person left, he signed a deal with Black, uh, and one left for you know for Rivian. Like we, I find we've very actually seen that in a number of the OEMs. So, for instance, in the European OEMs, there's also been musical chairs. Um, so I think there's a there's a there's a lack of uh, well, I I think there's an annoyance in the procurement departments that the OEMs haven't been acting quicker in terms of locking up supply. And, you know, maybe that's what's finally moved some of the OEMs to, to lock into some of these deals. But certainly, you know, the number of departures at Tesla must be disruptive to, to so, 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 Matt, here's the thing is you noticed in that investor day, there was no talk of the low cost vehicle of the smaller. So, I mean, in order to make that fly, I know they're manufacturing efficiencies, et cetera, but you would need to have a very good lock on supply and price. Yeah of your raw materials and particularly lithium to make that work. So I still find it somewhat odd that, you know, you look at the percentage of the cost of the battery now that's lithium, that you would not do both, lock in supply and lock in price. I I, I mean, I, I would agree with that. And, and, you know, you, me, other guys in the space have been saying this for four or five years and the OEMs just haven't been, haven't been paying attention. So, you know, it, seems to me the most obvious thing in the world that it, it clearly isn't to the oems 
The other thing, of course, is that if you say, I don't like mining, then mm. take a guess what happens when you try and permit and do everything else when the OEM says, I don't like mining. Well, who is going to like mining? Yeah. It's, it's you know, I understand, you know, one needs to do it properly and, and so on, but, you know, okay. there's, there's a lot of, you know, if you do a, a DMS only, you know, a dry stack tailing, whatever, you know, shipping it is, you know, are you saying that doesn't fly? I just, I, I don't, it doesn't, you, I mean, it's an existential me, crisis for them. Yeah. To and me, yet, you don't have, to have the best mining operation in the world, but at the end of the day, if I'm producing, you know, lithium hydroxide, say, at a cost of, say, $12 a kilogram, then surely that has to make more sense to me than buying it in the open market at $65 a kilogram, because that's really impacting my my margins. I mean, it, it seems to me to tick all of the boxes. And even if I'm not the best miner in the world, and I'm not the best converter in the world, you know, these are these are not... You know, it's not rocket science running these operations. Um, so, you know, maybe you don't hit your 70% recovery target for spodumene. Maybe you only hit 65%. And maybe you don't hit your 90% target for lithium hydroxide. Maybe you only hit 85%. But surely it's got to be cheaper than being exposed to open market prices. And I guess that comes back to the CATL, um, you know, news that, that came out sort of uh in the last week or so as well but again is that that was my question earlier if you look at the names of the oems all chinese mm. and then you look at the the production volumes of those companies limited so is this again you know are, are they looking to bury are they looking to help their local industry survive and let someone else across foreign shores fall over who, who can't get access you know because the, the question is what percentage of total volumes that CATL has in mind because I've looked at the benchmark graphs and what they plan to expand to or whatever how much are they really giving away at that price well if if for their own production it will be enormously profitable for them at that price if if for their captive production but if they're buying in the open market one assumes that they would be buying at a loss or, or they'd be making a loss on that material yes so i'm saying it's gamesmanship so on on a, on a tiny portion they're sort of doing this jiggery yeah. pokery and then they're hoping that the whole industry comes off and they can yeah. buy i mean I, I don't think the industry is that stupid to tell you the truth um <laughs> So, you know, I, I, I um, it, it's a nice ploy by CATL, um, but I, I'm not convinced that the industry is going to fall for it. But do you think, I mean, do you think they've been nudged to support the local OEMs? Um, possibly, but, but it, I mean, possibly they've been nudged, you know, a little bit from, from up, upstairs, but, but also... On their own, on their own supply, it makes sense because you've all, almost got a guaranteed offtake. Then, haven't you? On, on yeah, but your... I mean, you show me a business that sells something for two hundred thousand that can sell it for four hundred thousand. Yeah, I I don't know. I I can't I can't tell you what what's happened. I can't tell you what. I mean, my gut feeling is they're trying to push the mining industry into a corner. But if you look at the 
you know, the amount of, uh, of volumes of cells that they're going to supply on that deal, it's really low. And, that's and I that's think what I'm saying. It's, was, a, yeah. it's a fractional amount. So it, it feels as if there's a concerted effort in the China spot market and with CATL to try and set the market up so that when new uncontracted spodumin mines come online, mm. the going rate is being set at a lower price. Yeah. So can you shift I mean, the industry? That, that, may, you... that may very well be the case, and and maybe that would work if it was just China in the market. But you know, there's so much demand. I mean, you talk to any of the sort of juniors that that we talk to on a regular basis, and they'll tell you that the auto industry is eating down their doors to get in and and sign up this material. So, I I it's too little, too late in in the market. I mean, whether the market has been weak for the last three months or not. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't think that's going to have any impact on the market. So while while we're on that, you know, we've seen uh, transactions where it's ex-China signing up spodumin deals, but we know there isn't conversion capacity outside China to take that material. Mm. So is this trend towards tolling in China going to pick up? I, I, I think in the near term, yes. So, I mean, obviously, um, what's happened in Western Australia has proven how complex it is to actually open lithium, lithium refinery operations. Um, you know, everybody's been delayed by between six and 12 months um, and costs have blown out as well. So, you know, we, we, we tend to look at the China merchant hydroxide refiners as sort of uh, a really easy business, but clearly it's not quite as easy as you might think it is. Um, and, and, you know, coming back to Tesla, that makes me wonder if on that very accelerated timescale that they've laid out, it's going to be actually possible to do what they are intending to do. Yeah, yeah so, so so on that, Matt, they've got some of the best engineers in the world. They said they would be at 100 gigawatt hours of annualized 4680 production by the end of last year, and they were at full. Yeah. So, and my understanding is they're shipping dry electrode in. So when he says we're doing batteries with dry electrode, it's not being produced there. It's true, but it's being imported. Yeah. So, and, and, the, and I mean that's that's in an industry he knows. So exactly. You know, there's my point. Something that they've never done before. So you know, I, I always say. I mean, I said in my in my blog, I like what Tesla say, but I always take their timelines with a pinch of salt. Uh, I'm, Look, it's I'm in our best interest if they could make it work because it would mean ex-China conversion capacity taking off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 as I said, I hope they can make it work, but I'm not expecting them to make it work in the time that they've given. So, Matt, on that, the uh, lithium hydroxide refinery showed a picture. Uh, he, he labeled it as 50 gigawatt hours. I think Rodney equated that to 30,000 tons of hydroxide which is twice what we estimated a while ago when we saw a number out there, the cost of 350 million. And two years ago when they signed the original deal with Piedmont, it was for like a certain amount. It looked like it was going to be a 15,000 ton. Maybe it's a 30,000 tons, but he's equating it in, into kind of 50 gigawatt hours. But I found, and we'll play the snippet here. You know, what he said about this was just like, it's a new process. Okay. It, it's a soda ash, no acid roasting. Sounded very much like the Metsu Odutech process that Piedmont is using, you know, and Kelleber is using in Finland. 
uh, in contrast to what Albemarle is using at Kemerton, in contrast to what Albemarle and Minrez are using in um, China. And he was basically saying, you know, this is going to be commissioned in 10 to 12 months. Okay, considering Tangshi's problems at Quinana and Albemarle's Kemerton, you know, just let, leave that aside for a second. But then he basically said, we're going to do things differently. And we're not, we're doing this because we have to. If you read the, his body language and, and Drew Baglino's body language, when they talked about cathode and they talked about this hydroxide, they really don't want to do it, right? Like it really felt like they didn't want to do it. But they're basically saying our customers, our suppliers aren't moving fast enough. And, but he basically implied that we're going to do this soda ash leaching, you know, more environmentally friendly way to make hydroxide. And then we're going to teach our suppliers. We're going to like teach Albemarle how to do it. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what do you think about all of that? Well, you know, good luck. I mean, if they, if they can construct a lithium hydroxide refinery and get it, you know, production to spec in, in 11 or 12 months with the new technology, then I, I think they've earned the right to, to teach everybody else how to do it. I, I mean, there's no there's no denying the fact that if, you know, you look at the presentation, you look at the whole presentation, they have um, impressed in terms of, for instance, the, the factory footprints. I mean, the factory is, uh, using his numbers, 75% smaller and 65% cheaper. Um, so this, the, these are his uh, EV manufacturing factories, not to do with lithium hydroxide, but over the last sort of four or five years. So, you know, I think one of their, their aims has been to lower the footprint of factories to make them more efficient. And, and, and clearly, he's hoping to apply that to the lithium hydroxide space. Um, but, you know, we, we just have to see if he can do it. And, you know, he may very well be able to do it, but maybe he won't be able to do it during the time. I mean. I can understand perhaps it taking longer for the Chinese um, lithium hydroxide converters to build capacity and whatnot. But, you know, Albemarle is a chemical company uh, and they've been doing this sort of stuff for a long, long time. And, you know, for, for a industrial company to turn around and say, look, we can beat a chemical company to setting up these assets. You just got to wish them luck and say, you know. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm not. I, I, they have a lot of yeah, uh, mechanical, like, mechanical engineering. One thing in this is is also, if, if you look at the contracts that they have, there's Piedmont, there's Lion Town, or whatever, and you were talking about how homogenous is the material that you feed through here. There isn't enough coming from a single supplier here, let alone yeah. whether that material is consistent. They're going to be mishmashing. There's spodumen. Yeah, and and I mean that hasn't worked. I mean, or 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 if that does, if that does happen, your recovery goes down. So if you you know if you if Lion Town, for instance, is late or, or or somebody else is late, and you have to buy spodumen from another source, that's going to impact your refinery. So yeah. So if you look so, at how they're piecemealing it, just taking fifty thousand tons, which is let's call it seven on an LCE basis and then another seven somewhere else and so on, this is going to get interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting. But, you know, maybe it'll be a, a big learning curve for them. And they'll say, actually, you know, this is more complex than we thought. Maybe we better pay the professionals to do it. Yeah. But um, so I think this is why when Howard said the body language, because if you think about it, the stakes are high here now. Yeah. Now you're stepping into a different ring. If you 
we've already had the salt and water story on clay. So if you if you don't make it on this one, mm. then you're saying, you know, it's a busted flush and, and lithium is hard. The, 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 the comments about this. Really comes back to, this really comes back to, you know, his his comments at the beginning of the presentation, you know, when he talked about 100% electrification being 240 terawatt hours of cells. You know, if you do the maths on that, that's something like 160 million tons of lithium carbonate equivalent. And we're producing what 0.7 million tons per annum now. So, yeah, but the whole thing is like Dr. Yeah. Evil, it's bajillion, bajillion, you know, you, you start, you know, in pieces, you know, you can't, can't yeah. jump to, you know, to the theoretical numbers, uh, you start with reality. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 so, the, body, language, yeah. the, the body language and the, uh, um, and the actual language on the clay was even worse, right? Where they basically said, yeah, we've done some tests, whatever, like, I think Rodney was uh, offline, you know, kind of joking that, that this is kind of like the the, the, the Nicola, Nicola, you know, sliding the truck down the hill. You know, when he was like, oh, yeah, trophy blase, you know, just a bit of salt water and bam, it all drops out. And and of course, that the when he made those remarks, it absolutely um, um, stuffed the lithium producers and developers. They all dropped like 20 or 30 percent in in the next two weeks. Until, yeah. you know, reality sets in. Let me switch to GM and Lithium Americas. LG Chem wrote a check for Piedmont. Uh, I see Sayana's in a trading halt with respect to a, a capital raise. I don't know if that's going to be tied to their bit of the offtake. I think Piedmont alluded to, you know, maybe making some introductions or, or synergies there. But uh, GM has definitively decided that they are getting into the mining business. They've written an equity check you know and they're going to write mm -hmm. another equity check i think they're their lacks biggest shareholder and they, they could go up to 19.9 percent. this is for mining and refining and what's interesting i mean and they just broke ground so there's some politics there I'll, I'll notice as soon as gm you know announced this investment in lithium americas you know judge do and all of the other um regulatory you know and legal hurdles seem to have quickly disappeared so i i i think i've always said mary barr is the most politically astute you know we led you led mary into this is a fordlandia like moment to a degree this is the most ambitious project you know in lithium i think that's ever been undertaken Forty thousand plus forty thousand. i mean the headline number when lithium america's announced it yesterday you know is going to be eighty thousand tons but after many years of, are we going to do carbonate? We're going to do hydroxide. They have come and they've basically said, we're going to do carbonate. But, uh, you know, the hummers and those lyrics, you know, and, and GM's prior agreement with Livent is focused on hydroxide. LAC has indicated that they will not build hydroxide in Nevada, but they might build it somewhere else. I've speculated maybe they'll partner GM, Livent, LAC will partner somehow, you know, to do the hydroxide piece. That's just my own speculation. But they have started construction, but they're not yet fully funded, right? So that's an interesting thing. But they seem to have high confidence, and Jigger Shah was on our show, like that, that, that they could get up to 75% debt for this project. That would be like a $1.7 billion check out of $2.3 billion stage one CapEx. What are your thoughts on LAC just and, and, and this development of an auto OEM coming in? LAC, you know, gave 
GM 100% of the offtake for 10 years plus another five with a right of first offer in that I haven't yet you know fully analyzed all the details of that deal, but there was a lot of, you know, it was unusual in a lot of ways, right? Right. That, that, to tie yourself to one partner, you know, in, in this manner. But like, what do you think overall? And, and the stock has barely reacted, you know, since all of the positive news. What do you make of that? I mean, I, I think it's a difficult one. I mean, from the point of view of the sedimentary lithium, from my point of view, it's still an unproven technology at the commercial level. So I, I think, you know, there is a risk. There are technical uh, uh, and operational risks with the development of the project. You know, for, for GM, it's a relatively small amount of money. It's probably an option to secure lithium supply on that project. The other thing that slightly worries me about the sedimentary lithium projects that we talked about before is, uh, is sulfur, sulfur and sulfuric acid, because if all of those projects are developed, there's going to be huge demand for sulfuric acid for those projects, unless you know some of them go down the chloride route, which um, doesn't look likely at this stage. So there are some issues, you know, with those projects. I I fully hope that they um, get off the ground and they're they're developable, but there are definitely some risks up front. So I think that the you know the price looks looks okay for for GM on a on a transaction multiple term. Costs a lot cheaper than the the sort of hard rock assets in Australia and in Canada and Brazil, but there's a reason for that because hard rock is a is a plain vanilla tech, whereas this is still I don't want to call it an experimental tech, but unproven at commercial scale. I think is, is uh, on what metric are, are you saying? Mean, I noticed that the, like GM invested, you know, at lax price was near its fifty two week low, but uh, uh, on a so it's a two part investment. investment yeah. And, and and the initial part is really in the asset, and then the second the second part is on is in the the, the sort of company. So I mean, the, I I understand that they're both equity investments, but the uh, the the first part is effectively just going to the asset, isn't it? I'm not, so I, I, part... I'm not sure about that. I think they I think they invested at parent level. You know, half of it. Yeah. And then there were some conditions precedent coming before they put the. The second tranche in, yeah, and uh, but, but any, uh, anyway, I mean, to, just to give you an idea, it's it was about ninety seven fifty dollars per contained resource ton, which is obviously materially lower than the sort of multiples we've seen for the hard rock projects, but probably justified, you know, given given what we've seen before. I mean, that's certainly more expensive. Then, for instance, the early prices that uh, Ganfeng paid for Bacanora, um, those are on lower multiples. But then, probably you would expect that, given given what the lithium price has done over the last couple of years since since and Mexico um, political risk, right? So all of these, this is a very uh, inefficient market, and trying to compare valuation metrics, you know, per contained lithium because there are so many moving parts. I think there are a lot of unique circumstances in connection with this project, which was under legal dispute for two years. Here we have GM, Government Motors, you know, um, uh, you know, politically well connected, partnering with a very large deposit, right? To prove, like, will clay finally have its day? Like I've talked about it. This was the project, you know, that I first got involved in lithium because of, and it was for the first seven of my fourteen years in lithium was the only one that I talked about. So I, I very much want this to get into production. They're talking yeah. about it being in production 
I think, what was it, the back half of 2026? You know, they're starting kind of construction now. Again, not fully funded. That's a three-and-a-half-year timeline, you know, $2.3 billion for phase one. So what do you think? Like, by the end of 2026, this will be on time, on budget, and in production? Well, experience is taught not. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I'll always give the benefit of the doubt, you know, but, but uh, plan for the worst. You know, it, it, experience has taught that none of these things come in to production on time and on budget. So uh, we'll, we'll see how they do. Hope for the best, plan for the worst. That's uh, all right. Way. I want to make just a, a couple more comments before we wrap up here. And, and that's just just government policy and government funds availability, you know, in various locations. And the United States, again, you know, big money Biden strikes again. The Department of Defense now, through the Defense Production Act, uh, he put in an executive order, which essentially says the cap of $50 million is no longer there, right, in what you could spend. Because previously, the Department of Defense you know, could have written, you know, up to $50 million to do, you know, R&D, you know, studies, et cetera. Uh, they waived that cap. And they've also made it clear that they can invest in mining. So that's it. And that also could be invested not just in America, but, you know, in Canada and, and other countries. And Canada is one of five countries that's considered a domestic source, you know, in the U.S. So that, that's further big news, you know, in the U.S. But, you know, I, I see in Europe, uh, they keep talking. But in March, there's supposed to be, the I think, the Critical Minerals Act coming out. In, in Ontario, I saw a headline yesterday that they're kind of getting their act to get like, like where it's making a difference as to where investments are coming. Right. The, 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 these other countries and regions are are griping about the U.S. has moved too aggressively after berating the U.S. for being a laggard on climate. Right. You know, Europe is now saying, wait, 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 it's not fair. You're giving away too much. So what's. You know, Tom Schmall of Volkswagen, you know, made a plea on LinkedIn that we got a match. You, you know, it, this is kind of like a, a race to the top, not a race to the bottom or or just like a 11 of the playing field with the China. What, what do you make, you, you know, of what's happening in well, Europe think, and in Canada? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Europe has kind of surrendered its top position in the in the climate area with a kind of a whimper. You know, Europe was one of the first movers in this space in electric vehicles and batteries and then they've spent the last five years talking and not really doing very much um but i think the other point is that you've got two very different approaches from the us and from europe um if you look at it split into the carrot and the stick approach the, the us is very much using the carrot it's proposing tax credits uh, incentives for producers to come to the us the European Union has always used the stick approach. Uh, I mean, when we started looking at the EV sector five years ago, five or six years ago, if you remember that the European Union was uh, threatening to fine OEMs for um, selling too many ICEs. Um, so, so that's really been very much its approach over time. It's been about regulation, whereas the US is almost about free business effectively. So trying to encourage people rather than beat them over the head. And I, I think that shows a very substantial differences, difference in approach and difference in thinking between the US and Europe. And 
I realistically think that it's something that will be very difficult for the EU to reverse because I don't think that EU is in a position to add, to offer incentives across the whole Eurozone. And the, the EU as a body, I'm not sure can actually offer what the federal government can offer in the US. And, and I think the other point about that is the federal government can make an offer for the US, doesn't have to particularly worry about what's happening at the state level. Whereas the EU can't say the same. It has to get the buy-in from all of the different countries that make Good up the point. Yeah. So it's, it's handicapped by that. And, and we see that situation at the moment with regards to the, the auto industry, where we actually seen in the last couple of weeks, the Germans break ranks on the uh, recent rules on, on electric vehicles and say, look, we'd like to include uh, ICEs using synthetic fuels because they're clean. But, but you know, so the, the EU doesn't have the strength that the federal government has got in the US. And as a result, the rules are likely to be a little bit more of a hodgepodge uh, and less distinct and less less strong and strident than than the US government is able to offer. So I think I think that's a key consideration. We're not really seeing an improvement in understanding of the mining industry from the Europeans. In fact, I was just reading a report today about how um, Finland has tightened up its mining rules, its mining uh, development rules, so that now local communities can have more of a say in terms of how easy it is to develop uh, mining projects. And, you know, what we want to see is planning regulations being loosened for for new projects, not tighter, well, not loosened, but streamlined. Um, and, and, you know, we, we're just not seeing that. We're not seeing the same strategy from the EU that we're seeing at the country level and at the state level. Uh, and that's where the EU is going to be handicapped. And I, I just, I don't see that it can possibly rival what uh, the IRA brings to the US.